In a long anticipated decision, the Supreme Court of the United States rules 5-4 to strike down a Louisiana law that required the unimaginable, that abortionists must have admitting privileges at a local hospital, just like every other ambulatory surgical center in the state. If abortion was truly about health care, this law would have never been challenged by abortion activists. The court's ruling in June Medical versus Rousseau says the quiet part out loud. We will examine the quiet part, what it means, and the battle for the Supreme Court. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thanks for tuning in today. Hey, if this show has been helpful to you and you have been benefiting from this in any way, as always, please consider giving us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It actually really helps us, and we want to expose and reach more people with this important pro-life podcast and pro-life ideas, especially leading up to the election in this election year. Hey, big announcement. As I first announced last week, um, as of last Sunday evening, uh, or two Sunday evenings ago, June 28th, I began airing Unaborted with Seth Gruber on the radio on KPraise in San Diego County or KPRZ online. That will be Sunday evenings from 6 to 6.30 p.m. And the full show, of course, always available here on the podcast. You can tune in at FM 106.1 or AM 1210 or listen live online. So if you have any friends or family in San Diego County, you can tell them to tune in or you can listen live online on KPRZ to get the show Sunday nights and then come back for the full show on Monday mornings. So we want to cover the Supreme Court's recent decision in June Medical versus Rousseau, which we actually covered back in October of last year when the Supreme Court announced they would begin hearing oral arguments on the this case coming out of Louisiana and had planned to make a ruling by June, which they they just did at the very end of June. And so uh, assuming that you're, you've turned into the show since way back in October, let me give you a brief recap. We're going to go through exactly what this Louisiana law said, what the arguments against it were, and then we're going to get to the logic of the Supreme Court in their decision striking down this Louisiana law. This is very important. This was the first major abortion ruling by the Supreme Court since the retirement of Anthony Kennedy and since the election or rather the nomination of both Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch, both of Trump's appointees to the Supreme Court. So very, very important, but unfortunately, a very disappointing result for the pro-life movement. The question at the heart of this decision and this law was simply this. Should abortionists and abortion clinics be held to the same medical standards as every other surgeon and ambulatory surgical center in the state of Louisiana and in many cases and in the entire country? That's the question at the heart of the Supreme Court's recent ruling in June Medical versus Rousseau. Live Action News reporting on this uh, on the Supreme Court's decision to hear all our arguments back in October 2019 reported that the law or the Unsafe Abortion Act was signed in 2014 and states that, quote, every physician who performs or induces an abortion must have active admitting privileges at a hospital no further than 30 miles from the location of the facility at which the abortion was committed. Admitting privileges are vital because they allow emergency medical staff at the hospitals to have all of the information necessary to help the patient. Sounds like pretty common sense. When a woman suffers an abortion-related injury and must be taken by ambulance to a hospital, as is unfortunately a too common occurrence, doctors at the hospital must be able to give her immediate quality care. Yeah, duh. 
And you would think that the advocates of reproductive health care and women's health would be fully on board with laws that provide better health care to women. But the pro-choice argument against this bill from the very beginning and up until today is that this bill is unnecessary because abortion is safe, right? Abortion is health care. And these doctors, these abortionists masquerading as doctors, know how to care for women. They know how to care for women if a woman gets injured in an abortion. So why does the abortionist need to have an admitting privilege at a, lo- at a local hospital in case a woman gets injured during an abortion? That's, that's their argument. That's it. Now, even if that were true, that doesn't explain why abortionists should be exempt from the very medical requirements that everyone else who performs surgeries are held to. Shocker. The abortion industry wants to give a free pass, a hall pass to the abortion industry to ensure that they're not encumbered by any restrictions that might decrease the abortion rate, which is directly tied to the income of financially incentivized abortion industry workers. Interesting. But it is not true that abortion is safe, and it is not true that these doctors know how to care for women, women making the Louisiana law unnecessary. And we know this because an abortion clinic in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, let's just pick an example in the state where the law is coming from, botched an abortion procedure just last year and wasn't prepared to care for the wounded woman. According to Live Action News in August of 2019, reporting on an incident from March 2019, the Delta Clinic of Baton Rouge botched an abortion procedure which led to a complete hysterectomy, the removal of a woman's uterus. During the incident, which took place on March 15, 2019, the woman experienced excessive bleeding after an incomplete DNC abortion. She was transported to the hospital where she, would give it, she was giving four blood transfusions over the course of three days. Despite the intervention, the woman required a complete hysterectomy as a result of the botched procedure. An investigation into the incident by the Louisiana Department of Health revealed that the Delta Clinic of Baton Rouge lacked basic emergency supplies on hand, such as IV fluids, metazolam, and andesine, as well as the medical equipment needed to treat the woman suffering from the abortion complications. According to a Louisiana Department of Health citation dated March 29th, 2019, the facility failed to ensure a supply of emergency drugs for stabilizing and or treating medical and surgical complications are maintained on the licensed premises, which resulted in an inability to provide basic care until the arrival of the emergency medical services as mandated by state health regulations. Well, it sounds like this woman's health was compromised by the abortion industry's ability to operate without the same type of medical guidelines and requirements that every other ambulatory surgical center and surgeon are required to meet. Interesting. So much for women's health care, right? So clearly there's a need for this bill to ensure that the lives of women obtaining abortions are protected. But if abortion is health care, why wouldn't pro-choice advocates back a bill that will provide for better health care for the women that they claim to serve? It's it's almost as if it's not about health care. But shh, that's the quiet part. Don't say that out loud. And this decision by the Supreme Court and the motivations of the abortion industry have said that quiet part out loud. Abortion is not about health care, is it? It's about a profit incentive, and it's about ensuring that nothing prevents that industry from functioning at full capacity, which is murdering as many babies as possible to make as much money as possible. What other, what other opinion could you draw from the courts and the abortion industry's refusal to get on board with a law that just says, well, you're an abortionist who performs surgeries. Why shouldn't you be held to the same medical standards as every other surgeon? And of course, 
this example from the Baton Rouge abortion clinic is one of many in which women are injured during an abortion and have to be transferred to the hospital. And of course, abortion naturally has dangers involved with it. Why? Because abortion is unnatural. There's nothing natural about an abortion. Um, let's see. There's a reason why the cervix remains shut until the woman begins natural contractions, at which point she's supposed to deliver a baby. Huh. It's almost as if it's by design that the cervix is supposed to remain shut until the baby is due to be born. Huh. I wonder why that is. Yeah, reality has an annoying tendency of reasserting itself in your life and slapping you in the face, doesn't it? Of course, abortion is unnatural. You have to dilate the woman's cervix forcibly. If she's past the gestational age where she can take the abortion pill, then you have to insert a vacuum suction machine or forceps up her birth canal, typically blind, by the way, meaning not ultrasound guided. Try very carefully not to rip through her uterine lining, which is about as soft as wet tissue. Then puncture the amniotic sac and either suction the baby into oblivion or begin tearing limbs off and ensuring that you get them all out so no pieces of a dead baby are floating in the uterus, making the mom susceptible to sepsis and death. Does that sound natural? Of course it doesn't sound natural. So of course there are complications that can arise during an abortion because nothing about what is happening is natural or meant to occur to women or to the children they bear. And by the way, OBGYNs largely support requiring abortionists to have admitting privileges, meaning the doctors whose career is based on serving pregnant women and delivering their children are almost fully on board with requiring abortionists to meet the same type of safety medical standards and requirements as any other surgeon. And I want to highlight an OBGYN in Louisiana who recently wrote a piece at The Daily Signal called, I'm an OBGYN, here's why I support requiring hospital admitting privileges for abortion providers, right? Of course, this piece would never be run at CNN or The New York Times because they don't want to hear from OBGYNs who, regardless of whether they're pro-life or pro-choice, merely acknowledge uh, biological realities and medical necessities to care for the patients that you claim to serve. This OBGYN is named Damon Cootie, and he wrote this piece on June 24th. And here's a piece of uh, here's a section of that article. He says, over the years, I've worked at several different hospital emergency rooms in various U.S. states. I've taken care of patients who presented with complications from induced surgical abortions. In my assessment of patients, precious time was lost while attempting to contact the abortion provider or at least to obtain medical records that would have helped me to better care for his patient, this patient who presented to the emergency room. Such patients would often come in off the street, which is to say they were not being transferred from another facility or from another doctor. They were first evaluated by the triage nurses, then an ER doctor, and then I would be called since the doctor who performed the abortion did not have admitting privileges. With these patients, I was often disappointed to learn that there was no way to contact the doctor or to obtain pertinent medical records that would have provided critical information about what procedures had occurred or what medications were given. Knowledge of preceding medical or surgical interventions is essential for establishing a diagnosis as to the nature of the complication and how to treat it. I have no doubt that more lives could be saved and many lifelong health complications avoided if such patients could have continuity of care from the doctor who originally performed the surgery. Needless to say, this kind of routine patient abandonment is not tolerated in any other medical specialty. <laughs> well, there you have it from an OBGYN in Louisiana, exposing the laughably common sense nature of the Louisiana law 
which clearly will provide for better health protections for women who may get injured during an abortion and ensure life-giving care for them afterwards by efficiently and quickly transferring them to the hospital whose health practitioners can receive all the information they need to net to care for the woman wounded in an abortion. So um, next, we're going to get to the Supreme Court's uh, logic on how they rationalized striking down this Louisiana law and the coward masquerading as a Supreme Court justice by the name of John Roberts. But first, we're offering a new feature here at Unaborted. We are compiling your questions. We want to hear from you, and we want to cover some of those questions in this show. So if you have any questions on the abortion debate, on faith, on politics, on the culture, and what this battle means for the soul and posterity of our country, then reach out to us. Email me at unaborted at sethgruber.com, unaborted at sethgruber.com to ask any question you'd like, and we hope Hope to cover it on the show. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. So I gave you a lot of facts about the nature of this case. Obviously, I gave a lot of opinion as well. But before I got to the logic and reasoning of the Supreme Court, I wanted you to just understand what this law uh, in Louisiana, and of course the lawsuit, uh, June Medical versus Rousseau, said this common sense proposition that abortionists should have admitting privileges at a local hospital to ensure better care for women who might get injured during an abortion, which by the way is required of any other ambulatory surgical center or abortionist in the state. Right? That's it. Pretty simple. How did the majority on the Supreme Court explain their ridiculous decision, right? So the decision did go 5-4 five to strike it down with a supposedly conservative majority on the Supreme Court. They still sided with the abortion behemoth. And that's thanks almost exclusively to the occasional conservative John Roberts, right? We're supposed to have a conservative majority on the Supreme Court right now, meaning Supreme Court appointments that were appointed by Republican presidents. And yet we continue to have horrific decisions delivered from the highest court of the land and that's often due to the coward John Roberts. So we're, the conservative majority is supposed to be Thomas Alito, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Roberts. The liberal minority being Ginsburg, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Breyer. Except John Roberts sided with the liberals to strike down this case from Louisiana. And if you know, you're tuned in to the recent Supreme Court decisions, which tend to be decided in large part in June, he also sided with the court's left wing in in protecting your sexual preferences and gender identity as a, as a civil rights protection, which is going to absolutely train wreck religious liberty in our country if, if someone doesn't step in and make sure there's an exemptions for religious liberty. So, so John Roberts completely botched this Supreme Court decision in striking down this decision. And you're not going to believe the type of reasoning he tried to pull off to explain his decision. So to give us a little bit of insight into why Roberts is to blame for this decision and how he rationalized his position, I want to turn to the editors of National Review on a piece they wrote on June 29th entitled Roberts Misrules. Here's just one paragraph. Chief Justice John Roberts is one of the five justices who do not believe the law, so the Louisiana law, conflicts with the Constitution rightly interpreted. He voted in 2016 that an identical Texas law should be upheld. And his opinion in the Louisiana case says that he still agrees with his reasoning then. Nevertheless, he claims to believe that the Louisiana law is too similar to the law that his colleagues in 2016 struck down 
over his dissent. The force of precedent, he maintains, requires the law to be nullified. Otherwise, Americans would lack confidence in the rule of law. It is, on the other hand, wonderfully inspiring to that confidence for a justice to strike down a law that he concedes the state had the constitutional authority to enact. So Justice John Roberts says he voted against the Louisiana law requiring abortionists to have admitting privileges at a local hospital because of precedent. This idea of stare decisis, that if there were other cases that were similar to the one currently being discussed that were already ruled on in a certain way, then precedent demands that in the current case, we rule in a similar, if not identical way. And so John Roberts says this. He says, I joined the dissent in Whole Woman's Health, which was the Texas law that was similar, and continue to believe that the case was wrongly decided. The question today, however, is not whether Whole Woman's Health was right or wrong, but whether to adhere to it in deciding the present case. So he, re he refers to the precedent Texas law case, Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt, which the Supreme Court struck down, not allowing Texas to require abortionists to have admitting privileges at a local hospital. But John Roberts dissented and said, no, the state of Texas does have the constitutional authority to enact that law. So Roberts voted to uphold the te that Texas law and in so doing affirmed the constitutional power of states to require such medical standards be applied to abortionists. So in the jurisprudence of Roberts, precedent is king. Precedent rules all, even if the case that created the precedent was unconstitutional in the first place. Now, obviously, one has to wonder on what basis Roberts could support the historical overrulings of horrific decisions like Dred Scott and Plessy versus Ferguson, which created their own uniquely evil precedents. Sometimes the courts get it wrong. Sometimes decisions are lacking in substantive justice, and it is the duty of the courts in protecting natural rights to return to those decisions and overturn them. And Dred Scott and Plessy versus Ferguson, of course, decisions completely baked in racism, are two decisions that were rightly overruled. But they were ruled on, which means they would have created a precedent. But of course, John Roberts is going to support the overruling of those cases. So which cases are worthy of the title precedent? Hard to imagine that John Roberts has a good answer to that question. Now, remember, the position of the pro-choice movement is that abortion is healthcare, and abortionists are heroes. They're healthcare providers. In fact, they're just like doctors. But the pro-choice movement also admits that abortion is a form of surgery. It's a surgical procedure. So according to abortion advocates, abortionists are the only healthcare providers and doctors whose surgeries should not be beholden in any way to industry standard guidelines and requirements. They get a hall pass. They get out a jail free card. They can operate however they want. And we shouldn't impose any type of common sense medical standards on them that we would impose on anyone else. Wow, it's almost as if abortion is not actually about healthcare. As if the euphemism reproductive healthcare is a bunch of bleep to the pro-abortion movement and their political serviles. Now, we know abortion is not about health care. You know that. But that's the quiet part, that the partisans of abortion know that they can't say out loud. Because once you abandon the idea that abortion is health care, then you're left with a far more sinister option. <laughs> Killing babies, a profit incentive, a industry that operates on the victimization and targeting of women and on the killing of children.
So that's the quiet part. And they can't say that out loud. Except the abortion industry's opposition to this Louisiana law and the Supreme Court's ruling to strike down this Louisiana law said the quiet part out loud. And we're going to get to that quiet part next and exactly what that means. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. Just be, consider becoming a patron of the show. That's what helps us uh, fund the expenses and production of this show. And we actually have a lot in store that we want to increase in terms of our production value, our number of episodes, and doing interactive conversational content with the the common American man and woman on the streets and bringing these ideas to them and interacting with them about pro-life ideas, challenging them to reconsider their views by examining evidence they haven't seen or heard before. So if you want to help us do that and reach more people, that would really mean a lot. Think about supporting us for one or two lattes a month, five, 10, $15 a month. That would really mean a lot. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted and become a patron of the show. And we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to Unaborted. So how do I know that the Supreme Court's ruling in striking down the Louisiana case and the abortion industry's opposition to this Louisiana law from the very beginning reveals that they don't believe abortion is about health care? How can, how can I make that claim? Because in so doing, they've said the quiet part out loud, right? And here's what I mean by that. Here's how I know that, okay? If abortion were about women's health care, right, reproductive health care, then pro-choice advocates would hold abortionists to the same medical standards and guidelines as all other surgeons. Because not doing so, not holding them to the same type of standards, increases the risk of harm being done to the woman during an abortion or of failure to provide life-saving care to a woman if she is injured during an abortion. So in demanding that abortionists run their death camps unchecked and unbeholden to the most basic safety standards of medical care, the partisans of abortion are saying the quiet part out loud that abortion is not about health care or women's rights. It's about profit. It's about profit. Why else would they be willing to look at multiple cases and examples of women who were injured or died unnecessarily because of the little to no restrictions on the abortion industry, unless their motivation was purely financial. They are saying in no uncertain terms that they are willing to compromise and gamble with the health and lives of the very women they claim they exist to serve in order to ensure that abortion access is not hindered in any way, in any way. Because, yes, decreased access to abortion may be an unintentional byproduct of increased safety standards. Does that make sense? Increasing the safety standards on the abortion industry might mean that some people can't meet those standards. And that might cause a decrease in women's access to abortion. But that matters little to those who have gotten rich off the abortion industry or those who have been bought off by the industry itself. Okay, so... That's a big claim, okay? How do I know this is truly about profit? And that their overriding concern is that the Louisiana law would decrease abortion clinics and decrease Louisiana women's access to abortion. Because if that is their overriding concern, then that is a financial concern, right? 
And one might say, well, no, no, they just want to provide health care to women. No, they don't, because they're attacking a law that would ensure better health care for women. <laughs> so this is purely financial. This is purely profit driven. And I know this because both the abortion industry, okay, and the courts themselves have admitted as much. Adam Liptick of the New York Times reported in October 2019 that the Supreme Court had agreed to hear oral arguments on this Louisiana law, right, on June Medical versus Rousseau. And he said in his piece that, quote, the law's challengers say only one doctor in Louisiana has been able to meet the requirement. The law's challenger. Who are the law's challengers? Um, abortion hack lawyers, Planned Parenthood, and the Center for Reproductive Rights and ACLU, who are always responsible for filing the lawsuits for pro-life legislation. <laughs> Except in this case, it would be accurate to say that this is just common sense health uh, policies, not or legislation, not necessarily pro-life legislation. But the 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 challengers and the opponents of the Louisiana law told the New York Times that, oh, if this passes, only one Louisiana abortionist will be able to meet the requirement. Oh, only one doctor left in Louisiana to kill babies in the womb? Wow, well, that means a lot less money for us. That means shutting down of more clinics, you see? Now, what would be the normal person's response, by the way, to hearing that that if your state said that abortionists have to be held to the same medical standards as every other surgeon, what would your response be? to hearing that if that law was imposed in your state, that only one abortionist could meet that requirement. I think the normal person's response would be, holy moly, wow, what is wrong with the abortion industry? (laughs) What is wrong with the abortion providers in our state such that only one of them can meet the most common common sense basic medical standards that every other surgery center is required to meet? That would be the normal person's response. Well, wow, we need to fix our industry then. We need to fix the abortion community, the abortion industry providers in our state so that all of them meet the most basic standards of medical requirements and care. That would be the normal person's response, but not to the partisans of abortion and not to those who profit off of the killing of children. Their overriding concern is to attack any form of legislation, whether specifically pro-life or not in order to ensure that no woman's access to abortion is restricted or encumbered in any significant way. I also know this because Adam Liptick in the same New York Times piece quotes Alexis McGill Johnson, right? The the president of Planned Parenthood, who was just recently confirmed as the permanent placement because she was interim for several, several months. And The president of Planned Parenthood says in this piece, access to abortion is hanging by a thread in this country, which is totally false, by the way. And this case is what could snap that thread. This case, this Louisiana law saying abortionists need to meet the same standards as everyone else could snap the thread of abortion access. So what is Planned Parenthood's president saying? This common sense law that anyone who isn't an abortion hack should be on board with is going to to decrease the number of abortions. And my salary is really tied to how many babies I can kill, so we need to attack this pro-life legislation, this pro-life law. Do you see? So the abortion industry has made it clear that this is truly about profit. From their own mouth, from the horse's mouth, you just heard it. And also in their automatic opposition to a law that just says, this isn't about decreasing abortions, this is about increasing health standards on the abortion industry. Now, in this same article, again, by Adam Liptick at the New York Times, 
Uh, he talks about Judge de Gravels of the federal district court in Baton Rouge, who struck down the Louisiana law in 2017. Okay, so he was the federal district court judge who who prevented Louisiana from putting the law into place before the Supreme Court agreed to take it up. Here's what he said. Doctors willing to perform abortions were often unable to obtain admitting privileges for reasons unrelated to their competence and that the law created an undue burden on women's constitutional right to abortion. It, it created an undue burden. So this law that just says, come on, you just, come on, you're not special. You need to meet the same safety standards as everyone else. That law created an undue burden for a woman to access an abortion. What does that mean? It means that it made it more difficult for her to get an abortion, which means that there's probably less abortion clinics, which means that there's less abortions, which means the abortion industry is making less money, which means that the political serviles and lawyers that the abortion industry buys off are not going to continue to be paid. This is all about profit. The question should not be about whether a law creates an undue burden for a woman seeking an abortion, but whether that burden is justified, right? Yes, increasing medical safety standards on the abortion industry might in turn decrease the abortion rate. But that shouldn't be the concern of the industry that claims to be a healthcare industry. Their concern should be whether that burden is justified. Is it justified? Because our abortionists suck and they need to have better healthcare standards and practices. And in this case, the burden would simply be that, right? Better safety and health protections for women. The fact that abortion-obsessed lawyers and judges are not willing to embrace that unintentional burden in order to secure better health protections for women seeking abortion tells you everything you need to know, don't you? They don't care about these women. They care about keeping the abortion behemoth free of any and all restrictions that might in turn decrease abortions. Now, obviously, the pro-life movement, the pro-life position is that we are always justified in creating a burden to secure an abortion. And the main way we want to create a burden to secure an abortion is by making it illegal. That's the burden to get an abortion. You can't. It's illegal. And we know we're justified in that endeavor because it is always wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings, whether pre-born or born, without proper justification. But it is telling, isn't it, to see the abortion industry and their political serviles show their hand, show their deck, that they won't even accept common sense burdens as an acceptable, uh, as an acceptable price to pay to secure better healthcare protections for the women they claim to serve from an industry that says we are healthcare. Abortion is healthcare. Their response tells you everything you need to know. By the way, Justice Stephen Breyer, one of the leftist Supreme Court justices who wrote the majority decision in that Texas law, Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt, which struck down the same type of law in Texas. Here's what he had to say about the Texas law. He said there was no evidence that the Texas laws admitting privileges requirements would have helped even one woman obtain better treatment. And of course, he doesn't provide any proof for that. Just as Breyer wrote, but there was good evidence, he added, that the requirement caused the number of abortion clinics in Texas to drop from uh, 220 from 40 or from 40 to 20, meaning that abortion clinics would have been cut in half in Texas if the Texas law requiring abortion is to have admitting privileges at a local hospital went through. So 
What was Justice Stephen Breyer's number one concern when he struck down the same case in Texas? Access to abortion. Access to abortion wasn't about women's health care. It wasn't about women's health. Clearly, he didn't consult any OBGYNs like we just read. Going over multiple examples in multiple states where he's working, where he knows that he could have saved more lives and prevented further long-term disorders had there been admitting privileges put in place. No, Justice Stephen Breyer is only concerned with an unencumbered, unregulated abortion industry swimming in the cash they've made off of the dismemberment of unborn children. And he's shown his cards. Oh, we can't have less abortion clinics in Texas. We can't have less abortion clinics in Louisiana. Well, if it's about health care, then you should be willing to accept any burden or pay any price to ensure that the abortion industry functions at the same level of medical requirements as any other surgical center. Now, of course, they never really can because they kill a million babies a year. <laughs> so they can never function in the same type of uh, ethical health care standards as anyone else. But surely you would think it would be a bipartisan endeavor to say if a woman gets injured during an abortion, which happens a lot, then there should be procedures and health protections put in place to ensure a speedy and efficient transfer of that woman to the local hospital who can quickly be cared for. But that's not a premise the left is willing to accept because at the end of the day, abortion is not about reproductive health care. It's about your right to make difficult life problems just go away. Your right to define the mystery of human life, (laughs) as Justice Anthony Kennedy said in Planned Parenthood v. Casey. You get to define the mystery of human life. And if your definition of the mystery of human life conveniently dehumanizes the human in your womb, well, that's fine by you because all that matters is your subjective understanding of reality. This is about about defining your life in a way that conveniently defines your child out of existence so you won't be encumbered by the... uh, the responsibilities of parenthood because your child is in the way of your career. The child is in the way of your education. The child is in the way of your income. As Anthony Kennedy once said, at the heart of liberty is your right to define reality. Well, unfortunately, those premises have been absorbed wholesale by most Americans such that they could accept the inverted and backwards proposition that abortion is just reproductive health care and killing your child for selfish reasons is just bodily autonomy and female empowerment. I want to get to next about why the Supreme Court matters. Supreme Court justices matter, and they matter more now than ever before. We know that the Supreme Court has too much power, right? We all know this. Unfortunately, we have more and more decisions and examples of judges who are legislating from the bench and ignoring the voice of the people because they have a political agenda. These politically motivated judges have for too long legislated from the bench, removing the voice and will of the people in turn so they can create laws that reflect their reality. And I don't necessarily have an easy solution to this problem, to the the out of control power of the courts. But I do know we need to stop playing nice and stop trying to appease a nasty left who won't be satisfied until America looks just like them. That has always been the left's goal, is ideological uniformity. And they won't be, they won't be satisfied. They won't be 
they they won't simply lay down their arms because they've won a few bipartisan battles. They won't be satisfied until the Supreme Court is full of nine full-blown leftists. And Republicans have for too long refused to ask Supreme Court nominees specifically how they would rule on specific political and moral issues. And I think a lot of times Republican politicians have done this in order to avoid accusations from the left that the right is is weaponizing the highest court in the land to accomplish their political goals. However, the left has no such qualms with those questions. They have no concern in whether we perceive them as weaponizing the highest court in the land to secure political ends. They will specifically ask Supreme Court nominees how they would rule on abortion, how they would rule on transgender ideology, how they would rule on gay marriage. You might remember Kamala Harris just was drilling Brett Kavanaugh during his nomination uh, series of uh, interviews and specifically asking him how he would rule on abortion. The, the left, which is largely taken over the Democratic Party, has no problem in showing their partisanship and their desire for a Supreme Court justice that mirrors them and their reality. But we as Republicans and conservatives have for too long said, well, we don't want to be perceived as partisan. We don't want to be perceived as, no- as nominating Supreme Court justices for, for purely political goals. But the left has no problem being perceived that way. They're telling us that that's what they're doing when they're nominating Supreme Court justices. We talked on the Joe Biden episode just a couple episodes ago about how Joe Biden was basically asking Robert Bork and Clarence Thomas how they would rule on abortion. Now, Robert Bork didn't get on the Supreme Court, but Clarence Thomas did. And Robert Bork didn't get on the Supreme Court in large part because of politically motivated actors like Joe Biden and others who were trying to prevent him from getting on the Supreme Court because they knew that Robert Bork accepted the premises of natural law, which in turn would lead to the pro-life position. They have no problem weaponizing the Supreme Court to secure their political goals. And so for that reason, Supreme Court justices who were nominated by Democratic presidents and confirmed by Democrats never rule with conservatives, never rule with conservatives. Why? Because the Democratic Party ensured that they put a leftist hack on the Supreme Court that conformed, (laughs) that, that looked uniformly like them, who checked every leftist box ideologically. Contrastively, unfortunately, Republican appointed justices frequently betray natural law principles and constitutional originalism and vote with the liberal justices. Never forget that when Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton was decided, which legalized abortion on a federal level in 1973, we had a conservative majority or a, a, a Republican confirmed justice majority. Never forget that in 1992 in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, we had a Republican appointed conservative majority on the Supreme Court. Some of the worst decisions delivered from the highest court of the land. And supposedly, we're supposed to have a conservative majority now. And we still get this BS decision from the Supreme Court, not even accepting the premise that the abortion industry should be held to the same medical standards and requirements as any other surgical center or surgeon. Because we have been playing a different game than the left. If the left is going to hit, we need to hit harder. If we want to beat them at their game, we need to play their game. 
We can't just cheer for constitutional principles without putting real people who hold those principles in the game. We can't just sit on the sidelines cheering for originalism and textualism while we confirm flippy, floppy, squishy justices whose jurisprudence is completely unpredictable. We do not know if they're going to rule with natural law principles or cruise on over to the left-wing minority. And to do that, we have to know that those people hold the right principles. Federalism, natural rights, which has to begin with the right to life, religious freedom, a government by consent, and a textualist approach to the Constitution. But to know whether our Supreme Court nominees hold those principles, we need to ask them. We need to ask them specifically. These cultural wars are far too divisive and far too important to back off and to be pers- and in order to be to try to garner up a reputation with the left or the broader culture as just being unbiased. We all have our biases. Let's be honest about them. The left is honest about their political goals. They're not hiding their cards and they're perfectly happy asking how their Supreme Court nominees would rule before they consider them for the highest court in the land. We need to begin playing the same game. I want you to think about this, okay? My colleague, Eric Whittington at Students for Life of America posted this on social media the other day in regards to this Louisiana decision that went south thanks to John Roberts. He said, if Hillary would have won, this case would be 7-2. If Biden beats Trump, this case or something similar in the near future is 7-2. If Hillary would have beaten Trump and got reelected and this case or something similar would have been brought up in the near future, it would have been 9-0. If Trump is reelected, this case in four years is a 6-3 win for life because it's very likely that if Trump is reelected, he will almost for sure have one other justice because it's not likely that Ruth Bader Ginsburg can hold out another four and a half years and likely um, perhaps Breyer as well. This is why Supreme Court justices matter. It's tragic that we have to participate in such a politically nasty, polarizing battle over the highest court in the land because the Supreme Court was never created to write laws, to legislate from the bench. They were supposed to interpret the Constitution as it was originally intended. But instead, we have politically motivated partisans on the court Um, who are using the court and their bench to simply legislate at a federal level, throwing federalism into the trash. Supreme Court justices matter, and so does your vote. Your vote will ensure whether we have a Supreme Court that, that looks just like the left or whether we have one that looks closer to American principles, to America's founding principles of natural rights. My friend Brent Bowles and and OBGYN himself uh, put it very nicely. He said, if you think your dislike of President Trump is more important than the lives of a million babies a year and you can't bring yourself to vote for him, then it is quite likely that you will be part of dooming America to forever be a place where unwanted babies are slaughtered by the thousands each and every day. That's exactly right. As... Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. I don't care about you maintaining the purity of your conscience by refusing to vote for any politician because neither of them align to the gospel and the will of God. 
I don't care about you maintaining your perceived purity of your conscience. The rest of us are getting our hands dirty and voting for a politician who, like every other politician, is fallen and sinful, but only one of them wants to stop the slaughter of a million babies a year. Only one of them wants to wants to ensure that America still is the freest, most prosperous, most generous society in America. And the one that will be the best situated to protect your rights, the rights of your children and grandchildren to live in an America that continues to be free. As long as we continue to slaughter our own children, we will cave to every other important value system. As I'm fond of saying, if you can't get the right to life right, you'll likely not get any other rights right either. So let's live and vote like one million babies are killed every year and ensure that we build a Supreme Court that is truly American based on those first and most important of all rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Join me in that battle. It's time to get our hands dirty. (laughs) Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Get involved. The left is animated. They are activated and they are involved. Are you? We have something far more precious to protect, to conserve than the left does. The only question is, will we conserve it and will we fight for it? I hope you will. Well, thanks for joining me today. Head on over to iTunes, YouTube, Spotify. Give the show a rating and review. Let us know what you think. It really helps. Share this with a friend. Share this with someone in your life who's pro-life but hates Trump and so he's not going to vote for him. And ask them to reconsider their views and listen to some of the thoughts and ideas we talk about here. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to SethGruber.com. That's S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com to sign up for my newsletter, to see my speaking schedule, to email me, to contact me, to get training videos. And uh, let me know what you think. Send us some questions at unaborted at sethgruber.com. We'll get to them soon. Thanks for tuning in. Till next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. (laughs) 